Okay, if you have Bibles with you, please open them up to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. We've been uh, working our way through John's Gospel, and uh, we currently find ourselves uh, at John 16. Uh, we uh, will start chapter 16 today. We'll cover verses 1 through 15. Um, this morning, the pattern I'll use is I'll, I'll read a couple of verses, and then I'll, I'll share my commentary. So just for the sake of context, I know some of you here week after week, others visit occasionally, but just to give you a sense of where we are in the gospel narrative, um, we're in the middle of, of what's commonly referred to as the upper room uh, discourse. Um, Jesus is meeting with his closest friends, and he's having his uh, final Passover uh, just prior to his arrest. And um, in this time, uh, while he's sharing this, this sacred meal, uh, he's, he's sharing things with his friends. He's, he's telling them those things that are most important to him. He's, they've spent the last three years together and here's an opportunity just before what's about to be a very difficult time in their lives. He's sharing heartfelt things, uh, pearls of wisdom uh, with these guys. At the same time, um, he's also comforting them. If you've been with us on this Gospel of John journey for a while, you'll remember back in, in chapter 13, when this conversation began, uh, Jesus mentioned to them that he was going away. And for the most part, it freaked them out. And they've, as the chapters have gone on, they're still freaked out because Jesus continues to comfort them. We're going to see that dynamic of pearls of wisdom and comforting words being offered by Jesus to his close friends. We're going to see that dynamic continue in chapter 16 as well. So let's jump right in, verses 1 and 2. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. So what was it that Jesus told them so that they wouldn't fall away? Well, he told them that the world would hate them. We covered this last week back in, in John 15. And verse 18 says this. Jesus tells, still in this conversation with his disciples, it says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Last week I explained to you that the term, the world there, does not, does not refer to the unchurched. It doesn't refer to those who aren't following Jesus uh, and are living sinful, secular lives. That's not what the world represents in this context. Most of us think that, but if you read the story as a whole, you'll understand that when Jesus says the world uh, will hate you, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first, that what he's specifically referring to there is the religious leaders of his day. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees. That's, who he, that's what Jesus means when he says the world. In our, in our vernacular, the way our minds are constructed, when we hear the term the world, we think about sinful people, unsaved people, non-Christian, unchurched people. That's not what's being said here. When Jesus says the, the world will hate you, the world he's referring to is the world of the uber-religious scribes, religious, legalistic Pharisees. So the first part of 
verse 2 in chapter 16, makes it perfectly clear that when he says the world, it has to be these religious people because he says they will put you out of the synagogue. If you're not in the system, the religious institutional system, how can you be put out of the religion? It has to be the people who are in charge of that system. Does that make sense? Okay. I think that's significant. I think it's profoundly significant. That's why I'm hopping on it. Jesus makes some sobering, additional sobering statements in, in these two verses. And he's not saying that it might happen or that it could happen. He's saying it will happen. They will put you out of the synagogue. And he, he says, anyone who kills you, not, you know, they may try and kill you or, you know, someone may have ill will to, toward you. He's saying they will put you out of the synagogue and they will kill you. These are, there are difficult days ahead for, for these disciples, these followers of Jesus. And he's taking this special time they have together, and he's trying hard to prepare them. Verse 3. In verse 3, Jesus goes on to explain um, how these religious leaders could possibly be so wrong. How is it that they could you know, hate Jesus and hate his disciples to the point of not just putting them out of the synagogue, which was a pretty huge social thing that happened back then, but to, but to want to kill them as well. How could they be so wrong? And verse 3 says, they will do such things because they've not known the Father or me. They'll do this because they don't know the Father and they don't know me. How could they be so wrong? Why would they do such terrible things? For a lack of knowing. Now listen to me. It's not for a lack of knowledge. It's for a lack of knowing. They knew neither Jesus nor the Father. The word, the Greek word used here in verse 3 for known is gnosko. And it means to know relationally. It's an intimate, personal, and an experiential knowing. Gnosko is a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse, a deeply intimate and personal experience. The religious leaders, make no mistake, they had knowledge. They had truckloads of knowledge. They had lifetime accumulation of knowledge and information. They'd studied the Torah and the law. They were considered the experts of their day in this religious information. However, they did not know God. They didn't know God the Father, and they don't know His Son. They had accumulated lifetime of information, but what they lacked was intimacy. And because of that lack, they murdered their long-awaited Messiah. All the, the, the Messiah they've been waiting for, because of all their information and all their studying, the one that they wanted, that the scriptures cried out about, he finally comes. And because they didn't know God himself, they killed the Messiah when he came. It's not enough to have information. We need intimacy. It's not enough to have knowledge. We have to have a knowing. We have to have gnosko. It, that was God's intention all the while, since the very beginning. When he first thought creation into existence, it was for the purpose of gnosko. So they had information, they lacked intimacy, and because of that lack, they murdered their long-awaited Messiah, and they'll soon murder Jesus' disciples as well. All the while thinking, as the text says, they're offering a service to God. 
Author Barbara Brown Taylor says in her book, Leaving Church, A Memoir of Faith, she says, as a general rule, I would say that human beings never behave more badly toward one another than when they believe they are protecting God. Let me say that again. As a general rule, I would say that human beings never behave more badly toward one another than when they believe they're protecting God. So sadly true. Verses, uh, let's move on, verses 4 to 6. Jesus says, I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I said these things. So Jesus is continuing to comfort their disciples. You've got to understand, they've, they've gone all in, right? They've, le they've left their businesses. It tells us in, in Scripture that Peter and Andrew left their nets with their father. They left the family business and they followed Jesus. Some of them are following Jesus and it was costly to them. It cost them everything. And they've been following him for three years. And now he says he's going away. And it's freaking them out. What do you mean you're going away and I can't come with you? And so they are still here in 16, chapter 16, upset about this. And Jesus continues to uh, offer them comfort. And it, uh, with this comfort is warnings and instructions about things concerning the future. In the next verses, he'll offer an explanation for his going as well as some additional encouragement. Verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus has something for us. He has something for the, his friends who were gathered there. He has something for, um, for the church to be fulfilled on Pentecost and for all of us to benefit from throughout the ages to this very day. Something, this is something that Jesus himself, as one with the Father, will send to us. Something good. Something extremely good. Something better for all of us. Jesus says it's good that he goes away so that this could be sent. Now what is it? What's the advocate? It's the Holy Spirit. He has the Holy Spirit for us. With the Holy Spirit, it's not just Jesus and a handful of his closest friends that get to have this type of intimate connection, this close friendship. Now the Holy Spirit's come, and guess what? It can be even better. What could be better than hanging out with Jesus? Wouldn't it be awesome to be one of the twelve? Could you imagine if you had a tortoise that you could go back in time? Who knows what a tortoise is? Do we have at least two, three people? Come on, guys, got to watch Dr. Who. You know? If you had a machine that would allow you to travel in time, I know. And go back and, and hang out with Jesus? I would definitely do that. I'd go lots of places if I had a tortoise. But that would certainly be one of them. But this is even better. Even better than having Jesus next to me. With the Holy Spirit, I can have Jesus alive inside of me. That's a whole nother level. Now it's God alive and active and abiding in each and every one of us. It saddens me greatly. As a religious professional of this day, it saddens me greatly that all too many in Christianity today view the Holy Spirit as optional. He's not optional. <clears throat> no honest reading of Scripture could possibly come to such a conclusion that the third person of the Trinity is somehow optional. 
we could take him or leave him. Well, my particular denomination, you know, we like to focus on the Father, we like to focus on the Son, but we ignore the Trinity. That's not an option. The Father, Son, and Spirit, the three in one are the fullness of God. The Holy Spirit, not only is he not optional, he's essential. And not just for the functional purposes of ministry or outreach or evangelism or church growth or whatever, but for intimate purposes. It's so that we may personally gnosko God, so that we may personally have a knowing relationship with him. Listen, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the incarnation, Jesus coming, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit were not afterthoughts. They, they weren't a salvage plan. It wasn't plan B after everything went awry in the garden. It was, it was the original design from the beginning. God being one with us, it was, the whole intent was relational all the way through. That he, would, that he would live alive inside of us, the most intimate of intimate places. Author and theologian C. Baxter Kruger uh, says this concerning what I've just been discussing. He says, it was not the fall of Adam, therefore, that set God's agenda. It was the decision to share the great dance with us through Jesus. Adam's plunge certainly threatened God's dream for us, but that threat had been anticipated and already strategically overcome in the predestination of the Incarnation. Jesus did not become human to fix the fall. He became human to accomplish the eternal purpose of our adoption and in order to bring our adoption to pass. The fall had to be called to a halt and undone. Jesus is not a footnote to Adam and his fall and indeed to creation itself. And indeed, creation itself is a footnote Creation itself is a footnote to the purpose of God in Christ Jesus. Do you get it? He didn't just come to fix what we messed up. The whole purpose from the beginning is so that there would be a, a deep level of connection between us and him. And the Holy Spirit was part of that plan from the beginning. It's like Just to drive this point home a little bit further, and I'm going to read a little bit out of First um, John chapter 2, but I, I want to encourage you not to simply take, take my opinion for it. Go home. Read through 1 Corinthians, especially chapters 1 and 2. Read them. Reread them. Read them slowly. Read it in small bites. Digest it. Because I think it makes perfectly clear the point I'm trying to make now. So let me share some of it with you. Verses 6 to 10 in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, the people who have accumulated knowledge, the people who have information without information, the people who have knowledge but lack knowing. Right? He says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, 
they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. There's a depth of knowing. There's a depth of connection with God where we can interact with him, where his mind can be our mind, our mind can be linked to his mind. That happens only by the spirit of God. And that was his purpose from the beginning. So do you see that there's a revelation of truth that comes only by the indwelling spirit? What a profound level of connection and oneness this is. Paul goes on, he says more in the next few verses, 10 to 16. He says, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Isn't that true? You're sitting there right now, you have thoughts in your head, and you alone know what they are. I can't read your mind. Maybe Nadine can read my mind. After 37 years together, she seems to know stuff, right? It was that one, we'll sit on the couch and she'll look at me out of nothing, out of nowhere, and says, you want ice cream? I mean, I'm just thinking about ice cream. I said, woman, get out of my head. Now, it's a pretty fair bet that any time of the day I would really want ice cream. But, man, I was just thinking about ice cream then. But other than that, I don't know what's in your head right now. Your spirit knows what's in your head right now. I'll read this again. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to mere, merely human judgments, for who is on the mind of the Lord? who has instructed him. But we have the mind of Christ. So we know, we gnosko God, we know his thoughts, and he ours, because he lives within us, by his spirit. We have the mind of Christ because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He sent to us the advocate. With the Holy Spirit living within us, we can understand spiritual realities with spiritual words. Without the Holy Spirit, honestly, we're like the Pharisees in the New Testament narrative, like those described in verse 14, where it says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. My goodness, I cannot tell you how many times in my life I've had clashes with people who are not filled with the Spirit judging the activities of the Spirit. And they call it foolishness. They don't, they don't have the mind of God. It's impossible. 
They can't see it from his perspective, and so they judge it based on the limited human wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that they have. And they get angry with me, <laughs> and they leave my churches. <laughs> it's a spirit issue. Now, I'm not saying that they're all Pharisees. I'm saying that they have knowledge, and, but without the Spirit of God alive in them, they don't have knowing. And so they judge based on their knowledge, not based upon gnosko. That's a problem. And that needs to change. I'm, a, I'm determined to make that change. With all I got within me, my passion is to help you gnosko God. So that when God does weird things, and have you read his book? He does weird things in his book. We'll recognize that it's him. My friends, Christianity doesn't make sense without the Holy Spirit. More than that, I'm of the opinion it's impossible to walk this Christian life without the Holy Spirit. This relationship was never designed to operate without the indwelling Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is entirely essential. Back to John 16. Verses 8 to 11. Jesus says, when he comes, he, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So here Jesus is explaining that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to clarify a few things. Things that the world has gotten wrong. Now, I think this is, this is a more helpful text here that uh, have us grasp and understand that. Again, when Jesus is referring to the world, he's talking about the religious leaders. The things that the world is wrong. Who's concerned about things like sin, righteousness, and judgment? The unchurched or the religious leaders? Who's been wrong on these things? It's obviously the religious leaders. Those are the people who, in the context of what he's describing. It's more evidence, in my opinion, that the world refers to Pharisees. And he's seeing that there's stuff they've been wrong about. There's stuff that people, religious people, Christians without the Holy Spirit, they've been wrong about because they have knowledge, but they, have, they, they lack knowing. And, and Jesus lists three topics here. One is sin. About sin because they do not believe in me. About the cancer of sin because the trust between God and man had been violated back in the garden. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. About the re restoration of right relationship of trust between us and the Father. Because Jesus took our place in his own body. He took the only antidote for that cancer of sin. About judgment. Because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Who's being judged? He's, it's the prince of the power of the air, not you. He, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul tells us in Romans. In Corinthians, Paul tells us that love keeps no record of wrong. The one being judged is not you, not me. It's very clear. The prince of this world, it's the enemy who now stands condemned. Judgment against the devil, not against the sons and daughters that he loves with a great and lavish love. And Jesus has more to say about this in 
the next few verses. Verse 12, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Have you ever had this experience with the Lord? Where he reveals truths or insights to you incrementally at a pace that he knows is best for you? He's done that with me. He's certainly done that with me. I remember listening to John Wimber preach once, and, and in his sermon, he was telling a story of how he cried out to God. He said, Lord, show me my sin. And the Lord did. And Wimber just wept and wept in repentance. I thought, well, this is good enough for John Wimber. It's good enough for me. So I remember lying on the hard concrete floor behind a boiler room in junior high school back in Brooklyn where I was a janitor. On my lunch hour, on my face before God, I said, oh God, show me my sin. And he did. It was crushing. It was crushing. I repented and I repented. And after I wept for most of that lunch hour, I said, oh Lord, show me some more. I'm just glutton for punishment. And he said, no, not now. He knew me. He knew what my heart could bear. He knew what was best for me. We used to have a yellow lab. We loved this dog. We had it for 11 years. She was just a fun dog. But I tell you what, we had to feed her little scoops of food at a time. You know, we'd feed her however many times a day, but we would fill her dish. And we had to do it for this reason. If I cut up a 50-pound bag, cut it open, and just laid it in front of her, that dog would have ate that whole 50-pound bag <laughs> until she exploded. She would <laughs> ate until she died, right? So because we loved her, we knew better for her, we... We gave it out in portions. God kind of does the same thing with us. Right? And that's what he's telling his friends right here. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. God's completely into process. He's all about this journey that we're on together with him. Destinations, more often than not, they're task-based. But journeys are vastly more relational. God will always have more to say to us, more than we could bear at the moment. But be encouraged. There's time. And he will share more. Verse 13a. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. The spirit will guide us into all truth. <clears throat> it's another reason why the Holy Spirit's essential and not optional. It's the Holy Spirit that leads into truth. It's just not enough to have academic or intellectual comprehension of the things of God. The Pharisees had that. And it didn't serve them well. We need the Holy Spirit alive and active in us if we hope to be guided into all truth. Verse 13b. Describing the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says he, the Holy Spirit, will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what's to come. Isn't this beautiful? I love how much this kind of reflects the same thing Jesus had to say about him and the Father Back in John 5, 19, when he says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees. The Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Now Jesus is making the very same statement about the Holy Spirit. Such a beautiful picture of the oneness and the perfect unity that's shared among the, the Trinity, between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They speak with one singular voice. They act with one mind. And this is what we have been invited, been invited into, into that relationship. And we'll see more of this in the next chapter, chapter 17. 
And not only will the Holy Spirit speak what he hears, but the scripture tells us he'll tell us what's to come. He'll give us revelatory insight into the journey ahead. And this is a good thing. It's a very good thing. Everything that comes from God is good. We need the Holy Spirit and the prophetic insights he has for us. That's why Paul exhorts us in 1 Corinthians 14.1 to follow the way of love and eagerly, eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, listen, because the gifts of the Holy Spirit function through people, they're messy. I've been telling you guys this since probably the first day I was here. I know the gifts can be messy. The problem is organized religion hates messy. (laughs) Hates messy. Messy's hard to contain. Messy's hard to control. It looks bad. What will people think? What will the neighbors say? We don't like messy. God's not all that concerned about messy. If he was concerned about messy, do you think for a second he'd have worked through the likes of you and me? He's so okay with messy. For far too long, concerning the Holy Spirit, we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater. We've ignored the Holy Spirit, locked the gifts in the closet, and we've sent those messy people away. Guys, I'm determined to see that change. The Holy Spirit's a gift from the Father and He's sent by Jesus. There is, there absolutely is a right, good, holy, and healthy way to live supernatural lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. But to get from here to there, it's going to be messy. I wish I could tell you otherwise. If I did, I'd be lying. And so my message to you as your pastor is this. Learn to live with the mess. Anybody here ever have a baby in your house? When Lisa was, was, was potty training my daughter, she was like two years old. We wanted, hopefully, to have her potty trained before Tommy arrived. And so she took the diaper off and put these other little pants on her. And I can remember watching her run across the room and these little dingleberries are popping out the leg hole all over the carpet. Did we throw the baby out with the dingleberries? No. We didn't. We cleaned up the little mess on the carpet. We loved on our daughter, and we helped her. We helped her. Guys, this is what we need to do. I feel like this is part of my calling and purpose. It's to help us live with the mess. And I say this, I make this next statement with kindness and compassion. I know that there are some people who can't deal with the mess. They're wired in such a way that for whatever reason, they don't have capacity. Like, we were young when we had Lisa, and we had lots of capacity to deal with dingleberries. <laughs> right? I don't know that I could raise a two-year-old right now. I'm 55 years old. I think my two-year-old days are behind me. I'd like to be a grandpa. I would so much like to be a grandfather. But I don't know if I could father again at 55. So... What if you're in that place? I, you know, I don't have a capacity for messy. This is where I am on my journey, Tom. I don't have capacity for messy. Then I just want you to know honestly, I have a lot of capacity for gifts of the Spirit messy. There are a lot of other churches around here that aren't messy at all. all right? They've 
they've drove, driven all the messy people away. They have. So maybe you would be more comfortable there. I'm not saying get out of my church. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying I'm going to embrace messy. I've made that decision a long time ago. I'm going to embrace the messy. But if you're saying to me, hey, I can't deal with the mess, then maybe you need to be in a different place. It might be easier for you that way. I'm not looking to make you crazy. I'm really not. I'm just looking to, I want to embrace the fullness of what God has for us, even if it's messy, even if it doesn't look good. I think there's a way to do it. But there's not a messy freeway to do it. You hear my heart? That makes sense? I'm not making ultimatums or threats. I'm just saying, I want you to know, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to the messy stuff. I'm going to make room and space for the messy stuff. So be aware. I have to. I have, guys, I have to do it. I have to do it. And you know what? There are wonderful churches all across this island that are doing really good things. And I have great services on Sunday and better facilities that we have to offer. they got certainly better preachers. But there aren't too many places on this island that are embracing the Holy Spirit and are willing to hold on to the things of the Spirit and ride it out through the message. I think there's a huge benefit on the other side if we could get there, if we don't quit, if we don't give up. We didn't throw Lisa out, even though she had little dingleberries all on carpet. And a huge benefit now. She's 32, 30 years later, I tell you what, we made the right choice by keeping her. We really did. And she's helping all kinds of people now. Messy's okay. So much of what God does is messy. Birth is messy. Creation is messy. Kissing is messy. It's messy. You ever have a sloppy wet kiss like we say in one of our worship songs? It's messy. Should we stop kissing? There are other intimate activities that we engage in that are messy. Should we stop doing that too? Messy. <laughs> Amen. Me- Listen to me. Messy is worth it. It's messy. You can always clean up the mess later, right? Let's not, let's not be so concerned with avoiding messy that we, that we get rid of God. That's, just, that's what I'm saying. All right, I'll move on before I say something and get myself in trouble. <laughs> Verses 14 and 15. Did that already, huh? That ship is sailed. <laughs> Verses 14 and 15. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive and what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he'll make known to you. Maybe the key going forward is this. The gifts get messy when man grabs for the glory. Right? We just let God have the glory. We can learn to do that. It seems to get a little less messy. I've told you, God speaks to me in dreams and visions, not because I'm good, but because he's good. He speaks to me in dreams and visions, not because I'm special, but because he's amazing. It's what he does. 
And, and that I've shared, I've shared too many of the dreams and visions that I've had out of pride, and I've shared too little of the dreams and visions I've received from God out of pride. I've shared too much being driven by pride, saying, don't you wish you were as spiritual as I am? <laughs> you wish you were awesome <laughs> and had the experiences God gave me. I wouldn't actually say that out loud, but I know my own heart. And I've shared too little at times thinking, oh man, if I tell this story, they're going to think I'm really weird. And maybe they're not going to want to be my friend anymore. And so it's been a messy process for me to figure out how much to share and how much, how much not to share. And you know how I figured it out? I made a mess. I made a mess. But I've learned as I make my decisions, not for what's going to make me look good, but to simply obey God and give Him glory, then it seems to work out better. Messy or not. But the gifts do get messy when man grabs the glory. President Harry S. Truman said, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. I think that's true. I think it applies to operating and functioning in the spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit will glorify God. This is a clearly stated truth. Now, even if we do that, even if we operate in spiritual gifts in such a way that glorifies God, the truth is the Pharisees are still going to judge. Jesus perfectly flowed in the Spirit and with the Father, and they killed him. But it's still a helpful principle for us going forward anyway. But I love how, how this portion of the text closes out. I love how it once again paints a picture of how the Trinity <laughs> operates. He, the Spirit, will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And this is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he'll make known to you. Can you see how interwoven, how absolutely connected they are in the way that they function and operate together? What a glorious picture. What an amazing relationship we've been invited into. Let's pray. Oh God. I come boldly before your throne of grace today. And I pray for myself and for my friends. Lord, we invite you. We want you. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. You are welcome in this place. And Lord, as the pastor, I say, let it be as messy as you want it to be. And in the messy process, Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to love one another. That we love more and that we judge less. Lord, I pray, let freedom reign in this place. That we make more space for freedom, and we not try to limit freedom. Oh God, let that be the case. Lord, send us the advocate. Send us the spirit of truth. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Send us the helper. Send us the spirit of truth. Lead us into all truth. Lord, I pray that you'd so work and move among us that we would get to the other side of messy, that we get past the mess, and we begin to live with the benefits, the fullness of your presence in our lives. Lord, I pray that the Charlottetown Vineyard would be a spirit-filled church on Prince Edward Island, filled with your spirit. Lord, I pray that that the number one benefit of the Holy Spirit's presence 
in the lives of the people who are part of this, this church would be this. That we would know you. That we would gnosko you. That we not be limited and satisfied and content with knowledge of you, but that we would actually know you. That we'd know your heart. And we'd know your mind. Lord, set us free from the fear of man. Set us free, O oh God, for the opinions of what will the neighbors say? Or what will people think? Oh God, help us live in the fullness of the freedom that is rightly ours in Christ Jesus. Make of us men and women who live supernatural lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need it. Charlottetown needs it. Prince Edward Island needs a body of people living supernatural lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us get from here to there. And Lord, I pray for all my friends today, those who've come with needs. There are some here today that have physical needs, oh God. Touch them in their bodies and make them whole and strong. Others, Lord, have relational needs. Lord, I ask that you would fix broken relationships. Lord, there are some here today that, that are wrestling uh, with emotional concerns. Lord, I ask that you would speak to the storm in their lives and that you bring peace. Lord, I pray that you bless all of us this following week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? We love you guys. Have an awesome day. And uh, we'll see you next Sunday.